Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, another installment, and I'm delighted to be putting this one out there. If you're new to the show, thanks so much. You may have checked out Josh Quigley's episode last week, and if you have, I hope you enjoyed it. To be honest, it was the one that has been the most responded to of all the episodes I've released, season one and so far in season two, into something ridiculous like 20,000 views of some of the posts. That doesn't obviously translate uh, directly into listenership, but even a small percentage of that have checked it out. And that's brilliant. It really, really is. I'm so thankful to Josh for taking the time. I know he's gone traveling now and continuing his own journey we've been in touch and hopefully we'll get back in touch when he comes back and maybe do something as a follow-up but i think what's i guess what stuck out for me is the fact that this topic of mental health depression suicide really is something that is so pervasive right now and i suppose a lot of people that have reached out are saying thanks for doing it but there's not enough talking about that in a strange way i don't know if it was just me and having my own views of it and having you know not in any way gone through the same stuff josh has had but maybe sometimes you go through you think other people have talked about it or are open about it but i think i think not i think it's definitely still very much under the covers very much concealed and people are afraid to open up and share and talk about it and hopefully that certainly gets easier for people over the next number of weeks months years with this positive movement in that space and geez if one or two people got something out of the episode last week that is an absolute result and i hope that has been the case so all i can say is thanks to everybody for the feedback i've made some really good connections already talked to a good few people and have a few new guests coming up over the next while i not going to dedicate every podcast in the future to this topic but it's certainly one that i'm going to explore further and try and dig deeper into it knowing that there's a you know a listenership uh, that want to hear stories around this to know that they're not the only ones and that's certainly not the case um, i've already recorded an episode with jim breen and jim had set up a cycle against suicide a couple of years ago in ireland he's had his own story around depression and mental health so that's a really powerful episode that'll be releasing in a few weeks i also talked to a lecturer in ucc who's a psychotherapist and we talk about psychobiotics uh, i think that's the right term his name is ted dining we talk about how that type of food can help with your mood and uh, that was really insightful as well so there are just a couple of other ones coming in the future around this space and as i said a few new connections made with some other stories that i'm going to put down record and put out in the next while so if you have checked out the josh episode thank you if you haven't go back and have a listen to it it's been a big one for the show and i am more than thankful to josh for his time on it all right so personally just a little note i have hit the 100 day mark for dry 18 that's 100 days without touching a drop of alcohol which is 
quite an achievement i must say for myself certainly something i'm proud of so far and uh, i've actually put together kind of a blog i've been building over the last 100 days or so around it and we'll publish that over the next uh, few days just in case you want to read it and have a insight into seven or eight things that i've learned i think i've landed on seven could have been more but seven was a nice number so we'll go with that so i'll put that out and yeah some good stuff going on there okay so on to this week's episode switching focus this one is more around the areas of management leadership coaching core values all things that are very interesting in their own right and it is with sarah abbott so i worked with sarah during her time as she led hr for amia at emc and then dell emc and I was really delighted to get her onto the show. Last year, she set up her own venture with her co-founder, Susan Manning, called The People Practice. And that's uh, thepeoplepracticegroup.com. An all-around professional development, coaching, leadership. This one is a two-parter. It's 90 minutes long when we recorded. And there was so much really interesting areas that we went into. We kind of broke it up into four or five sections. And when I was editing it, I realized like there's no way I'm going to put this out all at once because people might just take a break halfway through and not come back to it and there's too many good stuff and too many good pieces in here to let that happen so broke it up into two part one out now this is it we talk about her experience and lessons learned from her early career in ernst and young and then on to apple talk about value-based learning principles self-awareness failing fast and learning part two next week will come out with a focus on strategy management millennials leadership is it born versus bred really good stuff there a lot of conversation i'm fascinated by this whole area sarah has years of experience in it and has a lot of really good insights and stories to tell lots of book recommendations too so i'm excited to release these over the next couple of weeks before i let you get into it just in case you're in Cork, Sarah and Susan will be hosting a Disrupt HR event on the 17th of April at St. Peter's Church, North Main Street. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm not sponsored by this or anything like that. It's just an area I want to delve into a little bit more myself, hopefully meet some of the speakers on the night. Just said I'd put it there and it's going to be in the links in the show notes like everything else is that I generally ramble on about. So just before I give you over to Sarah thanks so much for your following thanks so much for your feedback continue to do that i'm all over the social networks at rob of the green so i'd love if you followed left a comment suggested a guest gave me some other stuff going on i can't believe these intros go on so long i just have a lot to talk about i shall leave it there subscribe on itunes and spreaker go to the website enjoy the show with sarah abbott and i will talk to you again next week take care good luck Welcome to the studio, Sarah. Thank you, Rob. It's great to be here. I had the pleasure working with you over the last few years in EMC slash slash Dell. I know your career prior to that was in Apple. I think you had also worked in Ernst & Young doing my bit of research. It would probably be safe to say that your experience during the number of years has been heavily in HR, coaching, leadership, strategy, personal development, just to name a few. Uh, is there any, any other areas there that... Uh, that stick out for you as, as your career evolved that you, you'd like to mention? Um, I think you've probably covered it all, right? Um, I suppose my focus has always been around people and that intrigue around how people operate and, you know, both the, the good and not so good, right? How do 
how a great leader is born or, or developed or what happens when you have someone great and their potential is never realized. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what did the organization, how did the organization impact that or how did all the people impact that or how did the person themselves impact that? Right. Um, I've always been intrigued by that. Hmm. You've probably hit about three of the questions I have in my leadership question list there. So that's good to know that we're, we're kind of on the same page with that. Question I started to ask the last couple of guests, um, different flavor of it. What's your earliest memory? I'm putting you on the spot. What's what comes my... into your mind when you think of the first thing that you can remember? I think the first thing I can remember is my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, if I go way back, I actually don't know if I've made this up in my head because he died when I was four. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have memory of him. I can I can see him sitting on a horse. Okay. Um, so he has actually ride a horse right. anywhere he went. Okay. Um, he I spent a lot of time with him seemingly. Um, so that's my first memory is is he lived in the same house as us. Mm-hmm. So there were three generations in our house. Okay. Um, so that's my first abiding memory. You mentioned your granddad. My granddad, he worked in the bog, Bordnamona. Okay. Um, and he worked hard. He used to work crazy hours driving, cycling out to the bog or even driving a little Honda 50. I remember that. And I would say his kind of work ethic. I would always say that's one of the areas where I got that value. Some of the other ones I can't ever figure out where I got, but it's interesting. There's kind of a parallel there. So in, in your early years then, Sarah, when you were growing up, uh, I can't imagine maybe was leadership and uh, human development always kind of something there? When did that sort of come to, to, to fruition? It's quite interesting. So you know, I grew up a long time ago um, in a very small farm in West Cork, right? right. But if you look at it, um, my nearest neighbours were German. My okay. next nearest neighbours were Dutch. And my third nearest neighbours were English. Right. So we talk about Ireland being very multicultural now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even back then, right? Yeah. Um, it was nothing for us to have, you know, very diverse neighbours right. um, close to me. And the other thing that's quite intriguing that actually took me a long time to realise was um, I worked in the local shop. Um, Mm -hmm. which was a really small shop Um, but actually it was a lady who ran that shop she was a widow right Um, and then when I went to my summer job it was also a lady who ran that business and she had three small kids and was separated from her husband okay Um, and so they were actually my first female role models right and both my mother and grandmother were very independent people Mm -hmm. so I had a lot of great female role models who were strong who ran businesses who nothing was a barrier to um so i think that's quite interesting because we talk a lot today about female diversity and this is you know a lot of years ago mm-hmm. um and most of the the people in my local community that were leaders were actually female right um so i do think i learned a lot from those people i like i worked in um in a craft shop during the summer right and that woman ta- taught me more about business than probably any business course okay. um, because how she thought about how she thought about our products how she dealt with our customers you know um i was i was 14 years of age yeah, but yeah. Um, what a great um education because she shared everything and do you think when you were learning that was that kind of almost subconsciously going in and do you think even did she have a, a set of management principles that she was explicit about or was she like naturally passing these on do you think she was naturally passing those on and i think you know steve Jobs says you can never you you can only connect the dots when Mm. in in when you look back at them yeah um but i think it's quite interesting because i would have you know in hr 
it's it's often the focus is people but i would have a huge focus on the bottom line okay and so often people would hear me say well what's the bottom line impact here how is this actually going to help the business mm-hmm. um, and if it's not we shouldn't do it right um and and i think i got that from her okay uh, because everything she did you know even if i would come up with ideas and i often would and uh, she would say so how's that going to help my business really yeah, it's yeah. a nice thing to do and you might enjoy doing that but why would we do that? Yeah. And I think that's where I got that from. Mm. Um, it's just something innate in me now. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's where it started. So like it's, it's an entrepreneur mindset really that you took from her that you apply to you know, pre- previous roles in the yes. corporate environment, which maybe not a lot of people sometimes do because they may have not had that entrepreneurial exposure. True. Yes, I think so. And I think I worked in a, you know, I worked in a small company as well at one stage where you know, you saw everything, marketing, payroll, everything, right? Mm. Um, and I think that does give you a different view because if you're in a large corporation, you can get lost in your field yeah. um, or in the busyness of every day mm. or in best practice, right? Which I think is probably one of the worst things that's ever happened to to the corporate world. Best practice is just such a disaster. Right. Thank you about best practice. Because um, I really think it's, it's actually what's best for your context and mm. what difference does that make? Um, and HR is actually a great field for coming up with new trends yeah. um, and running with them um, to try and, and make a difference. When if you track some of those trends all the way through to like the person on the ground who's trying to achieve a sale or build a product or design something new, what difference does that really make? And that whole you know debate that's going on at the moment about performance reviews is kind of an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> because I think a lot of those actually don't make a difference. Right. So I really believe if you have a great HR product as such, and you should, I think you should always think about HR programs and policies in that way, right. um, you should be able to track it all the way through to how this would make a difference, even if it's in an ideal world. But if you can't track it all the way through, then really, what is it doing? And how do you know what it's doing? Mm. very interesting i guess so when you mention the hr product versus would the would it be in, in that's a product mindset right where do you think you're getting that view of that is that again going back to those days is it going maybe back to your apple days is <clears throat> it's there... going to my apple days right you know um you know apple was a product of, is a product company right and uh we would think and talk a lot about products you know and, and steve jobs would make some really interesting points about you know, why would anyone pick something off the shelf? Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about that company is that whatever they think is is core runs all the way through the company. So it's not just for the product department. If it's a product company, then that mindset runs into places like HR. Right. And the question you would ask is if you came up with a new program or a new policy is why would anyone pick that off the shelf? Mm-hmm. Because... It's not because HR told them to or HR right. is going to police it. But actually, if I put it on that shelf, what business leader would pick it off the shelf? Mm. And I think that's um, a great discipline mm. for HR to go through because, you know, I've done it. You get lost in the excitement of how wonderful this might make people feel. Mm. Um, and you're, well, for me, certainly my sense of wanting to help make yeah. things better. And I can get lost in the idea or I get lost in the core of the idea and it and add on about 30 things right so it becomes mm. something totally different but if you have to sit back and go okay now we have that solution who would pick it off the shelf if you told them nothing mm. who would pick it off the shelf because if you have the solution that a leader would pick off the shelf um then you know you're onto something 
yeah. that you're doing something right. And I've seen actually that happen where um, we were working on something at one stage and um, we had an idea about how that might work. And we then, I went on holiday mm-hmm. and part of the solution was in my office. So there was some physical elements to it. Okay. And when I came back, they were all gone. Right. Um, and I said to someone in the team, I said, where's all the stuff? And she said, oh, people kept coming and taking it. Mm-hmm. So the actual solution, the, the actual the, solution. The, the product so that's when you knew, hold on a second, people are using this. And then we were intrigued about, well, what are they using it for and why are they using it? Um, but that to me is an example of, OK, then that must be useful for something. Mm. Um, so that product design set is and design thinking principles mm. I still use today. So they were like across the board in, in Apple being used no matter what area you're working in, yes. you're using similar type principles. And I think the one thing that comes into my mind is that idea of creating something the customer wants they don't really know they want yet. Mm-hmm. And was that part of that mindset as well? Yes, that was part of that mindset. And I have... Um, you know, now in my business, um, the quote that, that we live by is Einstein's quote, you know, if you yeah. have an hour to solve the problem, um, 55 minutes should be on what's the question, right? Okay. And and I think um, that became really important. So often what we do is we try and uh, design solutions um, in HR and then we give them to the business, okay? Um, but actually we never talked about what the question was. Right. So often we'll say, here is something you need to implement, but we've never actually sat down and discussed, is this a question that's really important right now? Mm. Um, so often what um, I will talk about and think about is, what's the real question here? Right. And then I might have a hypothesis as to what that is. Okay. And then I'll go to the people that matter. So however that customer is, it could be your business leaders, it could be a company. And say, so here's what I heard. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's almost like true coaching skills. Yeah. Here's me reflecting back what I heard. Now, what I heard is an interesting concept because heard might be something someone said. Yeah. What the data told me, some actions I saw. Mm. Also, it might be what's missing, what I didn't see. Okay. What words I didn't hear people to say that I was expecting them to say. Right. Um, uh, Tim Cook would often talk about the secret sauces in the white space. What happens in the white space? Yeah. The pieces that are left behind. Yeah. Um, and I would often bring all of that together and say, here's what I heard. Okay. Um, so it's almost like a CSI type approach, right? Just yeah, keep yeah, yeah. digging, digging, digging. And then the first thing I would do is check, did I hear this correctly or am I telling myself a story? Um, so I would get people to either amend what I have or add to it or edit it right. so that then we can all agree actually this is our true context right now okay. and then when you put that up there for people to reflect on all of a sudden you see people drawing connections that they never drew before mm. just by putting data on a wall sometimes yeah. all the data you have because actually most of the stuff we need we have and and people will go oh my gosh I didn't I didn't realize that now it's really obvious to me what we need to do okay. right and then once you determine that with people, right, now what you've done is mm. you've agreed what's the real question that needs to be answered. Right. And you've actually influenced on the question. There's no need to influence on the solution then mm. because everybody's already agreed this question needs to be answered and it needs to be answered now. Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't need to be answered and we park it. Right. Yeah. What I'm kind of getting again out of that is that sometimes people are too keen to just dive in to try and solve something they don't want to but but 
in the corporate world maybe there's that that's a a pervasive problem that get busy doing something rather than maybe taking some time to really understand what the problem is so that's that's i guess the, the crux of what, what that's about right Yes. And I think, you know, by nature, actually, naturally to me, I'm a solutions person. Right. So I actually have to manage that very carefully and go, hold on, pause a second. What mm. question are you trying to answer? And who said that was important? Who really cares? Yeah. And who really cares right now? Because sometimes, you know, Steve Jobs would have said, there is no such thing as a bad product. There's only bad timing. Okay. So sometimes it's a timing thing. Mm. There might be something to solve, but is now the right time to solve it? Or yeah. is there something bigger and better? And often by, and I've seen great examples of, I remember taking one leadership team through this process. It isn't a long process and it isn't a laborious process. But actually, <clears throat> there was a solution that needed to be implemented that I had seen implemented in other companies. Okay. And it had kind of, you know, been a struggle. And this got so much momentum. Right. And, and I remember it, it, it was kind of some extra hoops that they would have to go through. But I also remember our leaders thinking, I'll, I'll go around it. And another leader phoned them to say, you can't do that. Right. So HR didn't have to be the policeman mm. um, because the business really owned it. And HR's role in that was to enable the conversation, okay. not to actually design the solution. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's another important element is be clear in your role in something, right? Um, you know, if you're, if you're a consultative part of the business, then consult with the business, but don't do the business's job. Mm. Um, it's almost like, you know, some of the principles of coaching. Mm -hmm. Let people think. Mm -hmm. And often the, the answer is within themselves. Mm. And all you really have to do is help them reflect, first of all, on what that context is mm. and let them do their thinking. You know, Nancy Klein, who wrote Time to Think. Yep. What a great book. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. But what a great book because yeah, she talks brilliant. about that. You know, she talks about that respectful listening Yeah. Um, and letting people think. And, and we're, we're so terrible with silence, right? I'm terrible with silence. Mm. You can hear, I'm quite a talker, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm actively listening here, so it's all good. <laughs> I'm, co I'm coaching mode. But no, that's, that's really cool. I, I think there's though, again, there's that sense. And I know when I'm coaching sometimes by not talking in the early stages of doing it, I'm feeling like, shit am i doing something here is this person thinking i'm a fraud you know when they're just doing the talking but you get used to that but even in a work environment if you're the leader and we talk about leadership you go in and the perception maybe from your team is that this person should be leading and driving us forward and why are we doing all the talking so it's, it's kind of that dynamic and that's uncomfortable i guess sometimes isn't it it's very uncomfortable and, and actually it was really interesting i worked in one hr team who did a really great job of enabling the business. But it was interesting because there was a piece of feedback, actually, that came back at the end of, of one year, which said, HR really didn't do anything this year. Okay. And I remember my boss sitting with me thinking, what do we do with that piece of information, you know? And we thought and thought about it. We were a bit concerned in the beginning about, oh, gosh, you know, do we have a branding issue? Do we have a relevance issue? And actually what we realized is we had done an awful lot. Yeah. The business had done the implementation. So their traditional view of what to expect from HR was, well, they didn't give us anything. Mm. Actually, we, we gave them what they needed to do what they needed to do. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that expectation is there to your point that the leader needs to lead. Um, but the best leaders are the ones, if you walk into a room and you can't actually tell who the leader is. Mm-hmm. They're the person who's leading from behind, yeah. not from in front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, it's cool. Uh, it's definitely interesting. I, I always think the analogy to a referee in a match as well. Sometimes when you're they're there, but the best referees are the ones you never hear from or see or are never involved in any of the controversy um, during the game. Like so, so you know, li- li- referees are I suppose leaders in, in their own little mm-hmm. way as well. Managers maybe as well. Cool. We're we're going in great tangents here, which is perfect. Uh, I did want to just maybe take it back. So you're getting kind of forming some of those values and principles yourself when you were exposed to um to the, to the craft shop and and but then did you start what was your kind of view or focus or vision for yourself around and were you starting to think you know I, I have a passion about entrepreneurship and and people i want to go into a, a hr route or was it less no, exciting <laughs> that was never my thought okay um so i think um the areas that I was drawn to when I was... So, so for me, school um, was about learning new things and my social scene. Okay. It really was, right? Were you a messer? Um, yeah? Yes, I was quite disruptive. Okay. Um, but at the same time, um, I didn't have to study the hardest. So I, my sister had to study really hard, right? Okay. Um, and, and I didn't. like So I could get away with a lot more right. um, from that perspective. But my whole thing was a sense of enjoyment. Right? Right, so right. wherever I you know got enjoyment, that's where I went. So, you know, I did a lot of plays when I was in school. I debated. Hmm. I, do, I Actually, when I was in secondary school, I debated in UCC okay. um, in the university. Um, so I loved that side of things. And I was always kind of leading something. Right. I didn't know that's what it was. I wasn't exposed to that. But yeah, I was yeah, yeah. always kind of leading a group in something, right? Hmm. Um, with with something or other so and i i really didn't know what i wanted to do except the world was my oyster yeah. and my mother had kind of instilled this belief in me that i could if i wanted to go to nasa then go to nasa cool um i don't know that actually i was that bright but she led me to believe well, well the world is your oyster do what you want yeah. um so i wasn't sure what i wanted to do um I had a great love. I learned French um, and I had a great love of speaking French. Right. So initially I wanted to travel and be a linguist. Okay. Um, so that was my first route. Um, so I kind of started that studying French after secondary school um, to be a linguist in the European Union as it was a time in Brussels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in between that, I actually got a, um, a good permanent pensionable job in the bank. Right. Um, so, and I... Actually, that was a big deal at the time to get one of those jobs. It sounds as lefty brain to your righty brain world. Yes. So I, everybody was thrilled and they were congratulating my mother and all this sort of thing. It was a huge deal. Mm. And then I said to my mother, I don't think I want to do this. Yeah. And my mother did the greatest thing ever. And she said, that's okay. You follow whatever you think is right and it will be fine. Cool. And I actually did go to the bank then. Okay. So it was kind of reverse psychology. Reverse psychology I think she was being quite clever. I think she was doing that purpose, um, yeah. So I did that. I traveled. That brought me to London. You know, I spent time there. So I got a lot from that. Um, but that path didn't move as fast as I wanted it to move. And I got great advice from one of the leaders there who said, if you want to move faster, it's not going to happen for you here. You mm-hmm. need to figure out but or else figure out how you stay here and be comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, so that's when I moved to Ernst & Young. Okay. And I worked for a wonderful lady there. Um, so I happened to end up in HR as an administrator. Okay. From purely the move, by... From the bank to... Yes. The, the, purely the, by chance. Okay. Right? Um, 
And she was brilliant because she would explain everything to me, right? So okay. even though I was the administrator, she would sit me down and say, here's why we're doing this and here's what's intriguing about this. Mm. Um, so she instilled that interest in that whole piece. And it was really interesting to see projects that worked well and projects that, that were supposed to be brilliant and that failed mm-hmm. um, and everything in between. So that's kind of what gave me the bit between my teeth around HR okay. um, from that perspective. And I kind of ended up in a management role there Mm. um actually i ended up in a weird management role because i had a hr team but i also had all the it programmers for hr systems um which was an unusual mix Uh, and that's where i got my first interest in i didn't really do a great job of of leading that those teams apologies to them um but that's what made me think how can i get better at this and god this isn't quite simple yeah it sounds like though you didn't have uh, any fear of failure or, or, or fear of trying new things from that perspective, you know, this kind of fail repeatedly to get better and better and learn. Well, you, you yeah, I'm okay with that. Experimenting and yeah. okay with that. Even now, I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, I don't mind failing. I don't mind making a fool of myself. Well, I do it yeah. often, so I'm used to it. Yeah. Um, but I don't mind doing that. And I think you learn loads about yourself. And, 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 and the only, you know, I don't beat myself up, right? Mm. I kind of chill about it mm. because... Because for me, the only time I beat myself up is if I haven't done right by myself, i.e. I didn't try hard enough. That's a real bugbear for me. Or I didn't do right by someone else if I was mean to someone. Okay. Um, they're the two things that really stress me out and I make me feel really bad about myself. Okay. But outside of that, I would much prefer to try something. Yeah. Um, and my mantra would often be, so what have we got to lose? As long as it's not life or death. Yeah. I'm pretty much okay with it. And I have the same with my son, right? If he says, I'm going to do X, I'm like, yep, off you go. As long as there's no life or death situation here, I'm going to let you try that. Mm. Were those mantras ones you were kind of consciously using even in those early days or were you... I don't think I consciously used them. I was definitely fearless. I would do odd things, right? Um, (laughs) Give me an example. Well, I... (laughs) So in my very early days, the first time I flew to London, the very first time I'd flown outside the country, I went to London to visit someone. Okay. I was staying with a friend, and but they were at work during the day, and I did all my London tours. So, so they came home the first day, and they said to me, so how was your day? And I said, great, I went shopping in this place, and I did this, and they were like, how did you get there? Mm. And I said, well, I went on the tube, and they were like, how did you figure out the tubes? Mm. And he was like, well, you just look at the map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the person nearly had a heart attack saying oh my god you're not old enough to do like you can't go off in london and do things like this and okay. i was like well of course you can i'm a bit sensible i'm you know i'm not gonna yeah. put myself in dangerous situations it's not the end of the world if i get lost so yeah. i never had you know that sense of you know thinking about oh what will happen yeah. i can't do this because x y and z might happen yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they might happen but they might not yeah you know but there was no like permissions either. Uh, you weren't looking for permission, and just from what you were saying about growing up and what your mum was giving you that freedom to to make those decisions. That that's really a really nice approach because you know you talk to people that are afraid of doing things, and you can see from their 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 trajectory of growing up that it might have been something that held them back in you know in earlier earlier days or had been given the wrong direction maybe. Y- yes. So I don't. I, I think as I got older, maybe I did get more risk adverse and I've probably come, come full circle and not as risk adverse now. Um, and and sometimes maybe I did fail, but I'm a real kind of, you know, growing up on a farm, right? My parents would say, you have to get on with it, right? Yeah. So 
Maybe I did fail, but I didn't realize it because I made the best of that context anyway. Sure. <laughs> right. And if you would you have had any processes or reflections on <clears throat> what worked, what didn't and how you would make it better the next time around? Or was that again just naturally yes. happening? No, I would always kind of learn from things, you know, and say, oh, what did I do there? And, and how did I get myself into this? And, and what brought us to this point? And, and there were times when I and, and I learned a lot about myself from mm. that, you know. Um, like I know I am most energized when you give me a challenge. Like if you say to me, Rob, Sarah, we need to paint this room and nobody else could paint it. Right. So if, if I think there's a challenge that nobody else could solve, okay. I'm there. I remember doing this when I first went to Ernst Young, my boss went on holidays and I didn't have a huge amount of work to do while she was away. Mm-hmm. So I decided the filing room, this is in back in the day when you didn't have computers really right. um, contained all the HR files for 7,000 people Yeah, and it hadn't been touched I'd say probably in 20 years mm. and I decided to tidy it now it was a room that had no window right okay. and I spent a week in there but it was interesting because for me I was like this is a huge job and I can make this pristine mm. we could, we'll be able to find everything right and everybody thought it was the, they couldn't be and they were like why would you have decided to do that yeah. but for me that was something if you give me something that probably anybody can do I'm not as energized right. and that's important because I have to manage that yeah. right and also if you give me a challenge that's really challenging I'll get so energized about it everything else will pale into insignificance right. so I have to manage that to make sure that you know I say hello to my family if yeah, I'm in the middle yeah. of a cool project yeah um i have to actually sit down every week now and go through my diary and say okay what was the ratio here right what did you get lost in? what did you not get lost in and some people don't have to do that because it comes naturally to them for me it doesn't come naturally all right um and that's one of the things that i was seeing i would get lost in projects Mm. um to the point like they would just take over do do you think as you were working in that hr admin role and you were becoming a manager was hr and and people becoming a passion or did you realize it was a passion or or how did uh you know how did that continually evolve because obviously now with 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 coaching and very much focused on people and development where did they start to connect i think what my passion was in was work and achieving goals right and action and thinking and creating new ways of doing things Mm. i think that was really my passion and what gave me energy okay I don't think I had thought really about which field I really wanted to apply that in. I never saw work as work. Right. Like to me, anything I ever did, I enjoyed every day. Right. And I and, and because I was able to do that, I always felt if I didn't enjoy it, I would change, which I did a good few times. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only when I got to, I think my time in Mosgraves was really interesting because we did a lot of cool projects there in HR. Um, that probably started the seeds of going down that route it's a bit late I suppose and then in Apple where we did some wonderful projects around people and how we thought about people and 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 you know that wasn't easy at times to figure out some of those challenges um, that was where I really figured out how you could actually have an environment that really set a new standard for how you how people experienced work okay and how you could almost bring the whole person to bear. Mm. I think that brings it into that area. So I'd love to maybe go a little bit deeper into that. I know you've done a lot of research into the whole person and, and leadership. And maybe talk a bit about what, what work you did even in Apple there or, or, or skills that developed as you would look at those projects around getting 
the immersed person involved? Yes, I suppose the first thing was um, there was a really um, insightful head of HR called uh, Dan Walker, who actually had a very different view of HR. Um, So he had no um, love of HR programs and policies. He Mm. just didn't get that connection. And his view was, for goodness sake, um, you know, can you really think about what's going on here? And let's get real about what are we trying to do? We're trying to deliver to a business and we want people who will enjoy what they're doing so they can do their best work. Um, and we retain them, right? So mm-hmm. it was quite simple from that perspective. So everything kind of hooked around that. And he really wanted HR to be relevant or else not exist, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one one piece. It was that whole focus around we're going to change how things are done around here. And that, this was in the late 90s, so it was kind of a very different um, different time. So he was somebody who asked hard questions. Right. Um, and I sat on, you know, he came to Cork at one stage. He was based in, in obviously, Cupertino, and he came to Cork. And I had some questions about how we did things. And he said, okay, you come to the States. You come, okay. sit in this project team. I want to hear what you have to say. So his view is he, he hierarchy meant nothing right. to him. That's it was good. like, pick the people that, that he could mold into a team and mm-hmm. we did some really interesting work about what other companies were doing um and you know even l- sitting in in meetings where tim cook was present and the type of questions he would ask you know y- you would prepare for a presentation and then tim w- would be silent for a long time and then he would just ask that one killer question mm. which was going right back to the core of what you were trying to do you mm. know um and and you were kind of go Darn, I got lost in the in yeah. the work, in the business of this. Yeah. I, I forgot what was true here. Um, and it's the same of product design. If you ever hear Johnny Ives talk about a particular product, he talks about the really, really core aspects of a product. Yeah. Um, so it was the same with those. And we did we did a lot of work around, you know, leadership development, um, how we hired our leaders. Um, when I worked in, in Apple Retail in Europe, um, you know, people would say, what's the secret sauce? Or mm. we didn't have big leadership development programs. Right. right. But we did teach people the core aspects of the values. Okay. And so it was a values-based system where the values, you know, these people were dispersed, dispersed all over Europe, right? Mm. And and in this day and age, right, it's a bit like, you know, product implementation. How long does it take a product to get mass market? Yeah. That period is much shorter now. Right. than it ever was if you go back 30 years, right? Um, it's the same with leadership development. The ability to to acquire skills and knowledge about leadership now is 10 a penny, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of the programs that are out there that are even free, they're great. Yeah. Just go do them. But that's not what makes a great leader. Right. It's what you do with that information and how well you know yourself. Okay. And it's those aspects. Um, so I remember once somebody saying, in one of the companies I worked with, um, we were doing, uh, we had some new leaders come into the business and we had our existing leaders share their experiences with them. Mm-hmm. And it was literally conversation around, you know, just share your experience. There was no choreograph. We didn't tell anybody what they were to say. So it was up to them, you know, what they said. And and one guy sat there and he said, since I came to work at this company, I'm a better husband and father. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pretty cool statement if your employees are saying that, yeah, that you've made them a better person. Yeah. Um, and that was all down to how 
we took people through this journey of self-awareness good and bad okay right so there was a lot of eq type stuff going on in the the processes that were and process is probably a bad word but the journey then so yes. what made that guy a, a better husband and father what were the you know he probably had a set of leadership principles that he had already and that were standard but what were the the tactics or techniques to make him better the tactics and techniques one of them was reflection self-reflection do you know yourself um and how well do you know yourself and and what's the story you're telling yourself and how do you prove that Mm. to be accurate right um that was the first piece and even on that one on each one maybe just like a little bit of like how how did how did that be implemented okay was it like you're to spend 30 minutes every week sitting in a room you know reflecting or or is it just ongoing kind of encouraging creating groups of people talking to each other you know just interesting so it's much more about um talking with others Mm. and then reflecting on who you are and what that means okay right um so so we had one leadership class and all it was was a series of you know, there was probably 60 slides and each slide just had one sentence. Right. And it was then going through what that really means here. Right. And having that discussion about what that means here. Okay. And often what leaders would say to me is, um, oh, I have to really um, unlearn some things. Mm. Uh, and these are people who were very successful and who in their previous careers, very successful. And they had to unlearn some of those. Right. Um, <clears throat> and the, so some of that was about taking that away. And what we would do is follow up. Right. So anything we did, it had to live. So if we trained people on anything, mm. uh, so one of the things was how to give and receive feedback. Mm. Both okay. both were, we felt important. Um, and we would follow up on that, right? So first of all, HR would work with the leaders afterwards and, and, and debrief them and talk about, you know, how did, the, how did this feel for you and, and mm. what were your learnings, etc. That was an important piece. Um and secondly we would also help them with reflection so so for instance for instance and it was really simple things right yeah. so we had a learning log right okay yeah so it's like a journal almost yeah so yeah. this so so basically as you had your one-on-one with your boss once a quarter or whatever it was yeah your boss would say to you so tell us about that learning experience and they would ask you you were you would have had to have picked one or two key moments that that month okay what were the moments what happened right what did you learn about yourself mm. and what are you going to do with that in the future cool. um and i think because we had created you know the space and the culture that existed was that this was done by everyone mm. and it really was an all or nothing model right so i th- and i think that's one of the, the secrets if you're going to train people on something how often do you hear right yeah but that won't work now when i go back to my desk or that won't work in the real world yeah, yeah like yeah. if it's not a real world training then don't do it because i often wonder what would happen mm. if we stopped every single leadership development program tomorrow mm. would leaders fail i doubt it yeah um so doesn't that say something about what sure. we need to do with that and i was reading yeah. mckinsey's this morning talking about that mckinsey's just wrote an article about why leadership development programs don't work and i think they were right um because one of the things I think I've learned over the years is that um, the, the the development I've seen have the most impact in, in helping people be the best them um, has been the free stuff. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. That's, that's really cool. Like, do you think, was there, 
there'd be some leaders more naturally open to some of that than 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 others i kind of like reflection to me is all about taking time out even touching on the meditation world um some are all on board on that others are pushing away from that like did you how did you get those that were not naturally uh, agreeable to that to, to come along is it measurement and you have to measure the the levels at which they're engaged or is it so i think reflection is different and very personal and i think that's one of the things about leadership development right we're trying to make people into the perfect leaders mm. i think it's that's not the right way to, to think about it i think you need to think about it. how can we make you the best you um if you want to be that okay mm. that's the first thing so so one of the big mistakes I made along the way is I used to, to coach people and, and, and mentor people. And sometimes I would get frustrated because some people, you know, what I call the victim mentality, which is, you know, I need someone else to sort this out for me. And, and this the world I'm in is not my fault. Yeah. Um, and what I actually realized is not everybody wants to be the best version of themselves or they can't be at a particular point in time in their life. Right. So there's times when just getting by is as much as a person can do. Yeah. Okay. And that's actually okay. Took me a long time to figure that out, right? Because my view is you always need to be learning and you always need to be moving forward and continuous improvement. And sure. But actually there are times in our lives when, you know what? There's so much going on, just getting by might be okay. Yeah. You know? Being there forever, I don't think is a good thing. Um, but for people to answer your question on reflection. So first of all, in the scenario I just outlined, it was it was part of the culture. Right. You, you couldn't actually be successful in that culture without doing it. Mm. But the second thing I would say is, so for years I didn't reflect at all, right? I would think about things, but I wouldn't really um, reflect on them. Mm. And it was only when somebody said to me one day, just try it for four weeks. And after four weeks, Sarah, mm. you can give it up. Because I was like, yeah, yeah, I do it all in my head. It's great, you know, and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And... It was really interesting, I think, by the second time. So my way of reflecting is I write, okay? Mm. I don't type. I, it doesn't work for me in an iPad for some reason. Yeah. Um, but I write in a, um, in a notebook. And I write all sorts. Of, I can write, like, I mean, I can write 40 pages wow. in the space of 20 minutes, right? Yeah. And it could be just everything that's going on. It could be ideas in my head. It could be what... And I, but I will associate, you know, how does that make me feel? What does that tell me for the future? So I will try and it's do that. It's quite freeform, though. It's not free, structured. In absolutely like, freeform. Yeah, yeah. But then I have some kind of structure questions at the end. But what's really interesting, and this is where I saw the real value of it, is that when I would read it back, things that I thought to be tr- true, yeah. when I read it back, I realized weren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would read it and go, that's a very interesting story you're telling yourself. Because yeah, yeah. um, when I read this, I see something totally different. Yeah. So that was what um, made me understand the power of taking what's happening within you putting it outside yourself yeah, right it yeah. would probably work if you recorded it as well yeah and then either reading or listening to it back sure. in the third person yeah because you know when somebody they say you know problem shared is problem solved when somebody comes to you oftentimes they don't need you to say anything they just need that third party element yeah. they need to put it outside of their cells so they can mm. manipulate it and look at it and 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 the insights are different then totally. when you shape it that way um so often i would say that to people is Try it for four weeks. Yeah. That's all I'm asking you to do. If you get nothing from it, then yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. it's not for you. Definitely the four weeks. Like There's the 21-day challenge and the 30-day for anything, especially anyone that talks to me about meditation. So try and do it for four weeks. Get get it. You'll start seeing the benefits of it. What was interesting when you were talking about 
the, the writing I was doing some reading as well about like that's kind of almost like an NLP you know you're, yes. you're the observer and, and reading it back or or when you're writing that stuff down this concept of sub personalities as well that it could be one of the 17 different versions of me that are thinking that and then when another version reads it back it was like that's that's just craziness or whatever so so yeah i love i love that uh tip that anyone can really do you don't have to be just a leader right so so that was one of the things just one other maybe maybe one other technique or tool that was used because i, I think there's such learning and good one percent tips that come out of that that any anything else come to mind that um was being leveraged for leadership development in in those years or even more recently that comes to mind yeah, I think um, the other element is your network. There's a book that I read, actually, that was quite insightful to me, called The Power of Pulls by John Hagel and John Seely Brown. It's the first um, book recommendation. So the power, well, we have time to think. The Power well. of Pull. Um, the Power of Pull. Okay. But it's a really interesting book because essentially there's a lot of research in there about, you know, why people become successful in certain ways. And, and he looks at, um, or they look at surfers, uh, world champion surfers. They look mm. at... Um, uprisings in egypt so kind of very diverse group of things right but it, but the core of it right um is quite interesting because they talk about actually one of the keys to success is putting yourself on the edge and they talk and and actually they created the center for the edge as a result of that yeah and that's where that came from putting yourself on the edge of disparate communities right so this notion of serendipity mm. um not doing things because if you if you do everything with a goal with your end goal in mind you may miss a whole host of stuff Right. So just putting yourself on the edge of different things, you just don't know what that might bring. And where I find that terribly interesting is, you know, I've worked in, I said I worked in Musgraves, which is, you know, a big retail distributor, um, Ernst & Young, which is obviously a very big accountancy firm, then in technology, and now I'm actually doing some work with some farmers. But it's interesting how you can bring one thing, stuff from one to the other, right? Mm. Even though they're very, very different. And even acting as a leader, Right. One of the great analogies that I, I think of when I think about leaders is being a farmer because okay. I came from that background. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, how a farmer has to manage their resources despite the weather. Mm. Right. Despite things going wrong, you know, they have to deal with all of this. So they say, you know, the world is much more volatile and ambiguous. But think about being a farmer. Yeah. You don't get to control the rain ever. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And all of that sort of dif- different stuff. Right. From Comfort, that perspective. Comfortable not in control of everything you know exactly you get that, yeah and um, so there's so i think been on the edge of various different things and and what i found is you know i can be quite goal oriented so i kind of sometimes have to go okay just go to this you've no idea where you're going there mm. and you mightn't have that two hours but you never know what you might learn and i always find that they spark things and you and i were talking before we started the recording about guess who i met yesterday rob and then you were saying actually this might this this might link to this yeah. and, and they're totally different worlds right but yeah, I, yeah. I just think that's being on the edge of different things so so in those leadership development programs using your peers Mm. um was huge and i think the other element was listening Mm -hmm. you know creating space to listen and then self-awareness being being the key right so going back to reflection in some ways but how do you know yourself right i'm 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 not a great you know i've mixed feelings i think about you know profiling tools etc except that i do glean stuff Right. from them about myself and and I kind of think oh okay well that's great that I can that I'm naturally like that but here's the downside of being like that so mm. I need to manage that piece mm. so it's all about um light and dark in term from my perspective and I, and I think um you know that self-awareness piece and I think some people say they're very self-aware but I would say 
I was probably one of those people. But actually then when I would go to people and say, so here's how I describe myself. And they would laugh and say, that's not you. Um, and I had this conversation recently with someone about a piece of work that we were doing together. And I said, but I don't really want to just do that piece. And the person said, oh, for goodness sake, you come alive when you do that stuff. Mm. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. Um, you know, and I had to accept that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, but I, that isn't the coolest work, but I'm good at it. Yeah, so yeah, I was like, yeah. okay. Um, so I think if you think you're self-aware, go and ask somebody else, right? That you know will be true to you and that knows you well enough, right? And and go for the challenging person. Don't go for the person who's going to massage your ego. That doesn't really help you. Yeah, uh, it yeah. might make you feel better. Yeah. Um, and and that whole piece of when I was saying, you know, was to train people on accepting feedback. Really, really important. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I've talked to people in the past that uh, are very open to getting 360s and want feedback and others that completely are, you know, totally against it and, and shut down to it. You know, then that's to me is something there's a fear sometimes of being self-aware or fear of getting feedback because of you, you might know, not shame. like what you hear. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Because and I think um, there is a piece of that. So, 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 you know, we all have bad parts, unfortunately. Um, and it's kind of almost an acceptance of that, right? We're human. Yeah. And I think this, you know, this this world we have now, how about to be, you know, to be the perfect X, Y, and Z, or, you know, you need to get up at 4 a.m., right? I think we need to chill a little bit and go, we're human. Yeah, yeah. Some days we might be able to get up at 4 a.m., and some days we might need to sleep in. Yeah. And, you know, we need to to be good to ourselves, mm. you know, first and foremost. You can't really be great with the world if you, you know, don't give yourself a bit of a pass at times, right? Mm. If you do it all the time, then you're just, you know, yeah, giving yeah. up. But I do think you need to do that. Yeah. And I think I read one of the, I don't know, a quote recently. Um, There's always going to be a struggle. There's probably that mindset of people trying to get there and make it and then everything is going to be fine. But like when you realize that sort of thing doesn't exist, it kind of takes a bit of pressure off you as well because there's always going to be stuff thrown at you, you know, that you have to deal with, I, I would think. I agree. And I think, um, you know, I see people who, and I, I speak coach people, right, who are, who are very successful in quote, unquote, uh-huh. um, but are not very happy. Uh-huh. Um, and I do think, you know, what I try and remember, it doesn't always work for me, is do right by myself and do right by others. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think the... There's lots of freedom from having a healthy conscience. Yeah. Um, and that's my conscience is, you know, and I know when I trip myself up, right? If I did something too fast or if I, if I tried to wing it, if you like, mm. um, I get unhappy. It doesn't come maybe straight away, but it's, mm. but yeah, if I don't give myself a good run of the day, yeah, you'll find me cranky by noon. Okay. And then that comes out to everybody else as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's it. Getting to know yourself and know your routine mm. and knowing what works and what doesn't is is crucial, I think. Uh, but again, it goes back to being aware or self-aware because sometimes I'd look back a few years ago and I would remember now certain days or weeks when I'd be in bad form all week long or just... But I wasn't connecting the dots that maybe I was getting up at 8.30 instead of 8 or, or 7 or whatever, you know, just mm-hmm. things like that. So it's to take the step back and as you said journal maybe log why am i having a shit day today what potentially contributed for for that and then maybe stuff might emerge as you kind of scribble it out so we're touching uh, touching around leaders i think at the start you mentioned born versus bred leader and i know you've done research into leadership in general like what's your view on on that is there anything it's probably a very difficult one to answer but 
perspective on, on that. How was that? Did you enjoy it? I hope so. If you did, please like, share and do all that other good stuff that only takes a second on social media but means an awful lot to me as it spreads the reach. You can get the details from the show in the show notes on the website robofthegreen.ie. In there you can share the show out with others i really just want to touch on three other quick things one feedback i learned so much from it without it i can't improve please give me a bit of feedback positive negative constructive would you recommend a book do you have any other ideas for guests how about more video let me know what you want and i can make it happen i will try that's number one number two sharing is caring this year i'm making more of an effort to try and expand the reach Facebook, there's a page and there's a group. The 1% Better Community on Facebook is where I really hope new listeners go to share ideas, comments, in general things that they could help others with. That's what it's there for. Follow me on Spreaker.com. That's the new host. I'm on Twitter, growing not exponentially at all, but slowly. So please follow there. I'm on Instagram. All of these are at Rob of the Green. LinkedIn, Rob O'Donoghue. Get in touch. Would love to hear from you. Number three is about support. So I'm offering a few hours a month pro bono free coaching to those that can't afford it that need some coaching, that want some coaching, if you go to the website, the support page, click on the pro bono link. On the flip side of that, where you guys can support me, go to patreon.com, the Rob of the Green page. You can make a donation there. You can get access to exclusive content, which I'm adding all the time. That would be awesome. Anything you contribute will go back into the show to make it better, make it more than 1% better. Also, there's the option to buy one of those books that were recommended through the website, which will bring you to Amazon, which will get you the normal links, which will get you the books at the normal price. But supposedly, Amazon will give the show a small donation every time a book is purchased or anything for that matter, which is great. So finally, I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. I know it's difficult to make improvements, to push things forward, to get outside your comfort zone. I'm trying to do it all the time. I hope that every listen and every show and every guest that is on gives you something to take away that you could apply, adopt and adapt into your own life to create a new habit, to make something better. Don't overreach. Small improvements. 1% is enough. And thank yourself for making the time to listen to the show. It shows you're interested in learning, improving and getting better, even if it's just 1% at a time. Have a great day and good luck.